Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets and welcome to the pre-market trading segment where I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest today. One thing you got to know about the market, we'll keep it simple in an update from my personal life. Always remember to subscribe and follow this podcast. It really helps whether it's Apple or Spotify. And when you give us five stars, let us know future guests we should have or your biggest takeaway from this episode. And this episode is with the one and only Bravo's newest sensation, Southern Charm sweetheart, Olivia Flowers. I really, really enjoyed speaking to Olivia. She has such calm demeanor and such, I would just say, like pure intention with how she speaks and what she delivers. And in this episode, we get into a lot about her career before the show and how she was grinding and how she found her way. Because you think about it, it's, it's just a wild set of circumstances. When someone from the East Coast take a shot to go to LA, doesn't work, they end up back in Atlanta, and then they become Bravo's next star. And I think there's something inspiring about the way she navigated and how she navigated. And maybe you just want to become the next star at your job or your career, maybe in your household or with your family. But I think there's little takeaways from what Olivia was doing before to what she's doing now. This is definitely more of a deeper episode of Trading Secrets. And then stay tuned to the recap because David and I take some shots at money and dollars and cents when it comes to the life of a Bravo star. Because with Bravo, I'm going to tell you right now, with Bravo talent, they're the best. I love getting them. You know we have all the Real Housewives on, Vanderbump people. You know, we got Southern Charm. We got Southern Hospitality coming. I mean, you name a show, we got someone from it with Bravo. But their contracts are pretty tight. So I have to respect those contracts. Otherwise, I can't have these amazing people on. And I'd rather have them on and talk career navigation and talk about dollars and cents outside of Bravo just because they're that good. And I would never say no to them because they can't talk about the dollars and cents within just the Bravo contracts. But man, on a side note, Bravo, what an empire. Now let's transition to one thing you got to know going into this week. The unemployment rate remained at 3.7%. But what you have to know is that the U.S. economy added 216,000 jobs in December. Okay, What does that mean? Well, the expectation was that they were going to add 170,000 new jobs. They did 216,000. That blew it out of the water. And if companies are hiring, it's a sign of economic strength. Now, if I lost you there, I can certainly capture your attention here. Wages edged up higher to grow 4.1% year over year. So when you think about when you're going into your annual reviews, if wages are up 4.1% year over year, it's time to think about, are your wages up 4.1% year over year? If your company is healthy and it's performing the right way and profitable, make sure you're going in with a target of a raise of at least 4.1% per year. And of course, that changes per industry, but that's something you have to know. And I'm going to give you a little tease into something else. You know, now the Fed is really talking about what they're going to do with rates. And there is a theory out there that if you do cut rates, you actually will increase the supply of houses. There will be more supply, and therefore the prices will go down. So the whole conversation about rate cutting is very interesting. We'll see what happens. And for a personal update, this week I am in LA. Monday, oh my God, we have some big podcasts. We got Nick Vial part two coming out. We got Susie and Justin I'll be interviewing. Hannah Godwin from The Bachelor franchise. Possibly even Jax Taylor from Vanderpump. So more to come on that. And then I am heading to Mexico. And I'm sure you'll see what I'm doing in Mexico on Instagram. And it's going to be a blast. And I'll talk more about it on future episodes. But I have some quotes I want to share. Some quotes I came across this week that really landed with me and maybe they'll land with you. A secret to happiness is letting every situation be what it is instead of what you think it should be and then making the best of it. Another one, I don't regret the love I gave. They probably needed it. And last, I love this one, 1,440 minutes in a day. Make sure you spend a few on you. We spend so much time pouring into everybody else and every other thing, make sure you're pouring in to you. 
Without further ado, let's ring in the bell with the one and only Southern Charm sweetheart, Olivia Flowers. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, we are joined by one of Bravo's newest and most beloved cast members on the new hit show, Southern Charm, Olivia Flowers. Olivia became well-known after joining Southern Charm's cast in 2022, before season eight of the show. However, prior to that, Olivia actually started out in a career working behind the scenes of Hollywood as a production assistant for various TV shows and shorts. Olivia has made the most of her time on the show, becoming a fan favorite in such a short period of time, too. However, it has not been easy after having gone through a very public breakup and the unexpected loss of her brother earlier this year while filming. Today, we're going to learn about life in front of the camera, life behind the camera, and the way she's been able to handle heartbreak and loss over the year and bounce back while in the public eye. Olivia, thank you so much for being on Trading Secrets. <laughs> well, thank you. Can you write my Wikipedia page? I love that. Yeah, right. We're going to have to rewrite the Wikipedia page and get this going. I mean, it's when I think about your last year and a half, I wrote a book called The Restart Roadmap. And when I think about your last year and a half, that's what it feels like. Like you have had triumph and tragedy, and it's happened in such a short period of time. And I think I want that to be the theme of this episode because typically we have someone on and it might have been like a five, 10 year career where they had all these bumps and changes. I mean, it was how many years ago that you were a production assistant? Two. So two years ago. Like, and now fast forward two years later, you're the Bravo hit star. You're all over the place. You're at parties with the <laughs> Vanderpump people. You're the next it person. That's a short period of time. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling with all of this massive change? It's honestly been a blast like that's the first thing people ask me like do you like it are you enjoying it it's it's been so much fun and because I've always been interested in the entertainment industry even being in a, on a different avenue of it I've really enjoyed it and getting to like get to know my castmates and like the trips and stuff we go on and then it's been all positive interactions with like fans and stuff like that you know we just had BravoCon and that's really where you get to like see the, the fan yeah. and like the all the love and so I've I've enjoyed it I'm sure you've experienced some people on the streets or at a bar stopping you for a picture, but BravoCon, <laughs> did that hit you like a tidal wave? Uh, like, what the hell has happened in my life? A hundred percent. I would like get to step out of the room to go to the bathroom, like not thinking anything. And there would be just like a crowd and they'd be like, wait, wait, you have to come back in here. And I was like, that's not, that's not for me. That's not yeah. for me. And it wasn't, it was for Craig, but I tagged along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was for you. We'll rewind of your career before the show, but I want to step into this for a minute. I mean, I just think about a lot of, people from The Bachelor, Bachelorette, some people that we even manage and they get off the show. And, you know, a lot of them think they're the next like Taylor Swift, George Clooney. I feel like with you, I don't feel that like that at all. Has, has this whole popularity, anything changed your perspective? Or have you had anybody say to you like, Olivia, let's bring it back down to earth. Like, do you feel <laughs> any of that? Like, does this new wave had any impact on you? My dad always always says that to me like let's bring you back down to earth in a way of like joking but I can't say that I've had any I mean hopefully I haven't had any big-headed moments but I, I mean the, the night is young it could happen soon <laughs> my makeup artist over there like yeah sure like yeah you're full-blown <laughs> even I mean she walks in she's got a makeup artist a stylist like Seriously. I'm like guys go around the corner don't yeah. look like a I should have had you guys trust me all right well let's get back into what you're doing before the show so I saw in an interview that you moved to LA and you your dream was to be an actress and one of the big things you said is you thought you'd be able to be in the next hunger game, but you underestimated <laughs> the process. Those were your words. But I'm thinking about this. I think a lot of people back home would have no idea if someone actually, you hear the pipe dream, I'm going to move to LA and become an actor, actress. It's a big pipe dream. No one understands the process. So when you say you underestimated it, what was the process that you underestimated? Like, what does that actually look like to become an actress in LA? Well, for me, it was like, getting there, then you're instantly surrounded by, you know, thousands, however many people that want the same thing as you. Yeah. And so that was like a, an immediate pump the brakes. Like you're, you're not just like coming in here. You're not just going to like get an audition. Like you have to get like your representation. You got to get, you have to get classes. I just think I had this very romanticized idea of it because yeah. I've just always loved the entertainment industry. And, um, you know, my parents were very, stern on like finishing college. And then when you do that, you can go. Yeah. And I was so, so fortunate to have 
um, supportive parents and like supporting this pipe dream. But it was, it was very eye-opening getting there and being around so many hardworking, hustling people who knew the industry inside and out. And like, I wasn't there yet. It's interesting. Like you could be like a big fish in the pond that you live in. Mm -hmm. And then you go to LA and you're like, holy (laughs) shit. You're a tadpole. (laughs) Every single person who's a stud, everyone's well-spoken, everyone's well-dressed and you're Mm -hmm. just caught in the mix of it. We talk money on this podcast. Did your parents or did yourself did you save a certain dollar amount or did your parents say, we'll support you for a certain period of time until we're pulling the rug underneath you? Like, how did the money situation work when you said, I'm going to give my dream a shot? It was, like I said, I was very fortunate. They were very supportive and the deal was like finishing college, but I did have to work while I was out there. They were going to support me and help me get on my feet, but I had to be working while I was out there. Okay. So what did you do career wise? I was a production assistant Okay. Um, on this show called, it's a scripted show called The Colony. It was on USA and it was on the, the Paramount lot. And I mean, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the barrel. Pro- production assistant's kind of like a handler, right? Like, like you're running errands and stuff. Yes. Like yeah. getting coffee and first one there, last one to leave. No one really knows your name, but like, I loved it. Like I loved the whole experience. I was probably the worst production assistant because I was so <laughs> obsessed with like watching you know, video village. I was like behind the director, like watching them do the thing. And then, you know, there'd be like a mess behind me and I had, wasn't helping at all, but I, I learned so much doing that. Yeah. And I would have honestly like stayed with that as long as I I made nothing. Yeah. I was just going to, I was going to ask a production assistant. I'm going to take a shot. 20 bucks an hour. I'd probably say like 15. And it's an hourly rate, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you're a production assistant, the goal was never to like work your way up that career ladder. This was just a stepping stone to have cash inflow so you could pursue your pursuits the way you wanted to, correct? Yeah, I would say. And I was just like fortunate to have, I got the job from like a friend of my dad's who worked on the show. So I was even lucky to have that. Like, I don't even think that's something you could just find. It was very much a connection, but I, yeah, I, I loved it. (laughs) Okay. How about this? Let's get one tip because people are listening to this right now and they're trying to shortcut their careers. They're trying to be the person that's a production assistant. And within two years, they have an army of production assistants working for them. That's what you did. We're going to still step into your career before the show. But one piece of advice for someone out there that's in that role where it's 15, 20 bucks an hour or whatever it may be that they're, they're grinding. They know it's not the end all be all, but they're trying to shortcut to get where they want to go. What's one piece of advice you give them? To soak it up. Like you're in there, that's where your time and energy is going. And even though it's not exactly, you know, the end goal, like just absorb everything, learn everything so that when the ball does get rolling, you're in front of it and you know what you want to do and just enjoy it. I like it. Enjoy the ride, (laughs) get ahead of it and just keep grinding. Did you have any auditions as an actress while you were a production assistant? And what did those look like if you did? I didn't have any while I was a production assistant. I actually moved to Atlanta like a few years later because that's a huge place for filming. So speaking of like big fish, small pond, that was a lot easier. And I got a lot of auditions there. And it's kind of like, you know, LA, you can like stay, grind and try to get those bigger roles or, you know, Atlanta's going to pull like, I auditioned like waitress or I got a stripper audition all time for Ozark. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I came in, there was, she didn't have a name. It was just stripper. And I was like, okay. Was that the strip club they owned in Ozark? <laughs> yeah. No way. So, you know. Oh wait, hang like, on. We can't stop there. <laughs> so you get this audition. Do you actually have to like strip in the audition? No, no, I didn't have to. I didn't have to do anything <laughs> like that. Luckily it was like a, it was, it was cool. It was a conversation I was having with the Julie Garner. Okay. Well, that's, plays that's Ruth. awesome. Yeah, so she that is was, a hero. Yeah. And 100%. a boss. And she, I mean, that was like her first big one too. Like yeah. That, her first that brought her to like, it. now she's doing Nespresso commercials with George Clooney. Oh, that's she's right. She's killing it. There's a bunch of people on that commercial. So what was she like in person? Well, I didn't, I didn't get to meet her. Sorry. It was oh. just the audition was for the scene with her. Okay. I didn't actually get it. Okay. <laughs> that would have been, I would have made like a shirt that says that or something. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be unbelievable if you got that. I know. Hey, mom, dad. <laughs> Look stripper. what I did. I'm a stripper. <laughs> okay. So for auditions though, of course you don't get paid for those, right? Correct. You're just trying to land the audition. Mm-hmm. How many hours in advance do you have to practice for an audition? You really don't get that much time. I mean, they want it back within two, three days. Okay. So you get it. And and the earlier you get it in, I learned the better because 
when they find the person they want, that's where they stop. They okay. don't like go through all of, at least from my experience, this is like what I learned working um, in it, but they, especially for the smaller roles, you know, they're yeah. not going to sit there and wait to the last day, last minute to get the auditions. They're going to pick what they see when they see it. Okay. And then how does an audition come to your front door? Is it through an agent? Yeah. And through an okay. agent. And that was the double edged sword because in order to get an agent, they want to see that you have a resume, but in order to build that resume, you need, you need an experience. Agent. Yeah. So that was tricky. Okay. So then you finally land an opportunity in a movie. What does that look like? Or, what, or a scripted show? What does that look like? How much do they pay? What's the time commitment? Tell me about that job. Wait, the production assistant job? No, didn't you land Didn't you land a, a, a side role as an actress in one of these in like a, scripted show? So that was like, like an indie thing. And I found that through this website called Backstage, which okay. is a lot of like low, low budget yeah. or student films even. And I knew that's kind of where I had to start because I didn't have reps. So I was like, I got to put myself on tape. And I just, I genuinely feel like I wasn't good. And I didn't have the love and passion for it to like stick it out. But okay. I, again, just knew I wanted to be in the industry. And I think I thought acting was like my way in. Yeah. And then when I started working as an assistant for an acting coach out in LA, that's, and I got to help her on the back end with like casting tapes and she would be hired by productions to come coach the actors who have already booked the job, like on set coaching. Okay. And so I got to be a part of like the casting process and like editing. And that's when I realized like, oh, it's behind the camera that I want to do. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So production assistant to then going to do some acting and auditioning yourself uh -huh. to then becoming an assistant to an acting coach, essentially. Yeah. Assistant to an acting coach, same type of pay, like 20 bucks yeah. an hour type of like nothing. Okay. I took one acting class in my life <laughs> and it was one of the most fascinating experiences. Yeah. I'll never forget. There was one scene where the woman was getting prepared for it and she had to come in yelling at her husband. But before she went in, she asked the, the like students if she could scream. It was the loudest bloody murder <laughs> scream I had ever heard in my entire life. This was preparation to go in. <laughs> to go in. So then, wait, wait, wait. Cause he, like, apparently, that wasn't enough. So the coach goes behind, and I was in the last row. He whispers something to her, and all of a sudden, she starts bawling her eyes out. And he said something about an ex. And then she went into the scene burst the door open and I had goosebumps at how good she was. Really? And I was blown away that that type of depth and thinking goes into the whole entire process of acting. When you were with the coach, were there any tips or tricks or stories that you learned about the whole idea of acting that maybe people back home listening to this right now can take into their life or that you've taken into your new world? I learned with her and watching her coaching, it is so much just applying like your real experiences, your real feelings in to that moment. Like, I think that was like the big misconception, you know, you get the script and like people want to like memorize or like yeah. get the lines down. And I learned like, she just taught how to bring in like the raw emotion. And then like the, the words were just vehicles to get you from like one scene to the next. And so I saw a lot of what you just talked about, yeah. like working with her, like her bringing up people's like personal things right there on set just to get them there. So, yeah. I mean, that was like an experience in itself. But as far as like using it today, I mean, authenticity, like that's what acting yeah. is, just like aligning it as much as you can with your true self and your true feelings in that moment. Yeah. And so I would say with what I do now, it's it's that it's just like trying to stay completely true to how you're feeling and being able to like communicate those emotions and feelings clearly and staying consistent with that. I no, I think that's, I think that makes a lot of sense because in a short period of time you have captivated the audience in like an unbelievable way and you've built this quick momentum. And I think that has a lot to probably just being yourself and being able to communicate it. And maybe it was like acting that helped you do that in the bachelor world. What's interesting is, when someone has any type of history or education in acting, they get absolutely chastised and criticized. And so they're told like, they're faking it. Those tears aren't real. They're just acting. Being in the reality space now, have you had to deal with any of the people being like, your prior life was an actress? We have to question the authenticity. Have you had to step into that or no? I have with one castmate 
that's always like his go-to dig. It's like you're you were an actress. And I remember like one when we were filming one time yelling at each other and he was saying, he was like, You were an actress, like you wanted to do this. And I'm like, we all said yes to the same thing. We're all here, you know? So I think it's so easy to do that. But to me, acting is just like a, a social like experiment. It just teaches you how to be quick on your feet. It teaches you how to control your emotions. It teaches Mm. you how to not be impulsive in moments when you might be, you know what I mean? So, but as far as like faking the emotions, no, like I, I would be doing much better job acting. Like I liked him if that were the case. So (laughs) not acting. (laughs) I think like the hypocrisy in people who are on set of a reality TV show calling someone else like, oh, you're just here for the fame or for the camera. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. There's cameras everywhere. We are on the, one of the largest networks in the world. Look in the mirror, right? I know, That's right. just a ridiculous conundrum. Yeah. Acting in reality TV. So especially when I got off reality TV, it was always a thing that if you came from reality TV, getting into the world and the career of acting, was next to impossible. You kind of did a reverse. You went from acting to reality TV, unscripted. Was there any hesitation to get into unscripted knowing that the ladder back into acting becomes extremely challenging? Yes, that's so funny you just asked that because I was just talking about it before I got here. That was a huge part of it. I was fortunate enough to have time to like think over wanting to move forward with the show Mm -hmm. and Like I know some castmates who got their contract, like literally the next week after talking to them and I had months. So I really got to sit and think about it. And luckily for me, I had figured out that I wanted to do behind the camera stuff. And I didn't think the reality part, if anything, I was more looking forward to it because I get to be on a set. It wasn't exactly the set I thought, but it's still a set nonetheless. And it's still the same language and the same, you know, commotion. So I... I was excited for it in that way, but there was definitely a hesitation to completely shut that door, which is another reason why when people say like, oh, you're an actor, like you wanted this. I'm like, if you knew anything about acting, you would know what I'm doing right now just completely took away my chances of actually making it as a scripted actor. You right. Know? Like, it actually so, totally deters totally, you from that chance. Yeah. yeah and even, like, even if something as dumb as me being like, I took an acting class, one acting class. That could be misconstrued in like unscripted TV. Like that's how crazy this world is. Yeah. So that's fascinating. But y'all now, have it. It's like more nerve wracking for y'all because you, you only on it for, you know, a short period of time. So it's like anything you say, you might not have the time to like further explain it. So if yeah. someone says like, yeah, I was an actor and then that's all like they get from that time. Mm-hmm. I feel like then you get judged and then I at least can say I have like scene after scene to where I can like further explain myself. Totally. So I've always admired y'all for how you handle that. There is a lot. I've taught, I had a lot of bachelor people on this show and a lot of people from the Bravo space, but <laughs> there is a lot of envy from the ABC family because we get one show, maybe two, maybe three at max and we're done. So then the sustainability of like what we have to do with our careers becomes a whole different game of chess mm-hmm. and it could be one or two things and you could be knocked off and you know, you're back to the nine to five. All right, let's go into the, how did, so you're acting, you're grinding, production assistant, coaching, acting assisted, trying to break into the world <laughs> and Southern Charm comes knocking on your door. Of course you have ties to Charleston, mm-hmm. but what was the first interaction that Southern Charm came your way? So Leva, my castmate, her and her husband are family friends of ours. My dad and invests in their restaurants. And so we've known them forever. And she called me while I was in LA and it was actually right before COVID. So she had kind of told me that they were looking. She was like, I just think I'm going to put your name in because they're kind of looking for new faces. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then COVID hit. So then I went back home, spent COVID in Charleston with my whole family. And then she and I met up and she was like, yeah, I gave them your name. They're interested. And then it would go silent for a really long time. And then all of a sudden I would get a call. Like it was very, very gradual. And okay. I'm grateful for that because I did get to kind of like marinate in the idea. Yeah. So yeah, she brought me on. And I had known some of the cast a little bit before. My brother knew them all too. So he kind of bridged that gap for me as well. And I think that there's a bit of a misconception with people thinking I was brought on because I dated Austin. Like yeah. I was brought on. And I take pride in the fact that I'm one of the few girls who didn't come on there as anyone's girlfriend. Yeah. And I was like, I went through the casting process. Like I didn't. So just to clear the air on that. All right. <laughs> let me ask you about this. So 
uh, you know, obviously there's monetization through the show and then you're paid per episode. How many episodes per season are there? We honestly don't find that out until like as it goes. But okay. I mean, I think 12, I think there's like a minimum that we're supposed to hit. Okay. Okay. So let's suppose it's 12. Do the math based on conversations we've had people. You could back into some numbers without you getting in trouble. <laughs> on a other revenue driving stream, are there other things right now that you've been able to do to monetize everything that's happened, whether it's social media marketing, creating your own brand, anything from a business perspective that you've done or that's on the radar for driving more revenue in the door? There's certainly things on the radar. The thing is you get this big platform, like literally yeah. overnight and your and your following goes up overnight. And it's just kind of like, I've always had these ideas of like what I want to do. And, and now all of a sudden it's like you, you have the opportunity, like you have the platform, but there's no like manual on how to go about it. You no know what I mean? Like, it, and like, you're a perfect example of that. Yeah. Like you've figured it out and are doing it well. Like I'm very much in that stage where I'm very passionate about things and I do want to expand on things like as far as my brand, whether it's like health and wellness or like sports, I would love to see like a girl on Bravo interested in sports or something. You know cool. what I mean? Like, so I have all these like, like sideline reporting stuff. Yeah. Or okay. like do like a sports podcast or I don't know. It just, so I have all these ideas and things that I want to do. I just need to hone in on like what the next steps are. And yeah. this past season, you know, um, my stylist actually suggested like, why don't you show that side of you? Like in mm -hmm. your scenes, have on your athletic wear, like yeah. ask to play tennis. Like Shep and I played tennis this season and, and just kind of like start planting the seeds so that when that time comes that I do want to produce something more tangible on brand that I've already kind of like leaned into that and like shown that. So it's not like people are like, Oh, what she wants to do like athleisure. Like she doesn't, you know what I mean? Like yeah. kind of start. You're starting to like build like step by step, yes. build yeah. that niche. So if you look at like Kyle Cook, right? He's got Loverboy. Craig's got Sewing Down South. Mm -hmm. uh, Paige, obviously big in the fashion space. Mm -hmm. Think of it, Hannah Burner, now comedian. So if you had to project what it looked like in five years, like your niche, do you think that's what it is? Like sports, athleisure? Or what do you think it looks like career-wise? Yeah, it would be sports, athleisure, wellness. I'm, I'm gluten-free. Okay. Um, it's like celiac runs in my family. So that was something I brought on the show. There's like every single time we're eating, I'm like, is that gluten-free? Like yeah. I would love to have that niche of, of like health, wellness. And yeah, I love, love sports. I love that. What has been the biggest challenge in social media? The biggest thing that you've had to overcome now having a platform trying to navigate these waters? I'd say overthinking, mm. like really overthinking instead of just like, let it be fluid post and go. I second, third, fourth, fifth guess before like putting anything up. And mm -hmm. I, I was never like that before. And now I'm just like, I can get a little bit more hesitant. Why, why do you think that is? Is it the fear of like what people think or is it now that you see both sides of criticism and reward that you're just trying to avoid the criticism? Like, and this is by the way, something I really struggle with. Yeah. Always overthinking. Like, am I, am I doing enough? Have I, did I, did I not post that right? Is this stupid? Is my message right? And I'm always worried about it. And I think if I'm like psychoanalyzing, it's probably because I'm, too worried about what people think, quite frankly. I think that's in everyone. Yeah. You know, for me, I think I take on this platform and the show and my part on it as like a huge responsibility. Like there's yeah. such a huge following and you and we're so fortunate to have an influence on people. Mm -hmm. And so I want the messages I put out there to be of me and like not, I don't know. I just, it's a responsibility, I think. And also, yeah, yeah I give a fuck what people think about me. <laughs> yeah. I think we all do in some capacity. We're trying, we're trying our best out here. All right. Let's talk about, I think I don't want to dive into the drama of what you've experienced from a relationship perspective, but I do want to dive into the analysis of how that's impacted you and things you've done to overcome it. Cause I think people back home, they could be in any profession, teacher, nurse, professor, salesperson, whatever they do. They have things that come up in their personal life. And some people think those things actually propel them. And some people get completely taken aback. And so it impacts their financial and professional life. Those are the pillars I want to stay on. 
because I think everyone listening at this point probably understands from a relationship perspective in some, in a tragedy, big tragedy with your brother that you've had personal setbacks. Let's talk about how it's impacted professional and financial. Olivia, what are some things that when you think about it, you had to overcome or did you use work as a outlet? And do you have any advice for anybody back home that feels stuck, but still has to pursue their professional and financial endeavors? That's a very good question. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> for me, I certainly used it as an outlet of distraction, the show. Mm-hmm. And my dad, you know, he's a, a businessman. So we had conversations and about it because my number one priority was making sure they were comfortable with it, with me like going back to work so soon. But I don't, I mean, just whatever works for you, you know, yeah. like for me at that time, it it was helpful, like keeping busy, but also being patient with your emotions. And, you know, like some days are going to be harder when you're at work than others, but just like be patient with that. And don't, because the more you allow yourself to feel the emotions, the more you can create room for yourself to like live your life also, if yeah. that makes sense. I don't know if I'm answering the question very well. Like give me an example of like, it affecting your life. For sure. So I think for me through a recent breakup, I use work as a form of like numbing, if I'm being honest, but it's productive numbing. Mm -hmm. So I use it as a means of like, I don't have to deal with, I I first think, let's just first step back. What you said is right on about like, step in your feelings, feel your feelings. I think I just put a post about this, like name it to drain it. And then once you do, you carry so much less weight in all areas of your life. What I have found myself doing is opposed to, I'm like a path of least resistant guy. So like conflict, I don't really love it. I'd rather just, to me, like the drama of conflict can create a lot of like headaches and step backs, even though those step backs could create eight jumps forward. So I channel my energy towards like work. I distract myself. Something I'm working on, but I know if I distract myself, I don't have to worry about it. As a result of that, weirdly enough, setbacks actually propel my financial and professional world. They probably hurt me more personally, mm-hmm. but they propel them. And I'm wondering if through your setbacks, if you think that they have like propelled them, maybe hasn't had an impact on your professional world, or you feel like because you experience pain and emotion and distress in your personal life, it really hurts your professional financial life. I think for me, I was overwhelmed with how many people reached out and had like very similar experiences. And that's kind of like going back to how I overthink with social media. Like once all these people started reaching out and talking about their experiences with grief and having all very, very similar stories, losing a sibling, losing a loved one. I, it was like, it fueled me because I now had the ears of so many people who were going through what I was going through. And so that terrified me on social media. And that was a bit of a setback. I I mean, it took me a really long time to post, even though those messaging messages were so heartwarming. I was like terrified to post, but then I had the show side of it and I looked at it as an opportunity of getting to be an example in a sense, not be an example, but like show people that it's okay to feel a certain way or show people that you can go back to work or you can be sad, you know, like I just, so I feel like it did propel me, but in a way that was helpful to others, if that makes sense. I think so. Yeah. No, I think it's like impact. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you nailed it. I think it's like, I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's an impact in personal life was, I mean, struggle, like worst, worst time of, of my life, professional, a whole new responsibility and a whole new challenge but yeah. in a good way. From the outside looking in, it feels like, well, uh, your personal life may have, been, may have been in complete disarray. I don't know, from what I'm seeing from the outside high level, the, it seems like professional and financial world's taken off. <laughs> it feels like maybe professional setbacks may have actually propelled your professional world. Knowing what you know now about everything you've experienced in the last year, we'll just keep that high level there. Is there anything you would have done differently uh, that maybe people back home listening that are kind of going through hell uh, could take as a learning lesson given 
your experience? Is there anything you would have done differently in the last year? I don't know if this is too deep, but I am a huge advocate for therapy. Yeah. And I didn't go to therapy when all this happened. Mm -hmm. And that was a big mistake. How, and what was your hesitation not to go? Uh, I think I just like, wasn't ready to face it yeah. and like have it be more of a reality. And I already was starting to have the episodes air. And then mm -hmm. once the episode air of what happened, that bring, opens a door to so many other people getting to chime in yeah. that I wasn't ready for. So then to like think about talking about it more on a person, I just wasn't ready to do that. I wasn't ready to have it being discussed. Yeah. And at least with therapy, I had the choice to wait. Whereas like, on the show front, I didn't have a choice. It was going to air and I was going to have to deal with it. Yeah. So I, I put it off. I put therapy off and I dealt with it on the show. Okay. Now you're an advocate for therapy. What would you say for people that are thinking about it back home? You have one big takeaway, big takeaway guy, by the way, Yeah. from all the <laughs> therapy you've done. <laughs> do you have like one big takeaway, one thing that has resonated with you the most through going through therapy and putting yourself in that position? Be patient with yourself. With yeah. your emotions. That's a good one. Because there's no right way to grieve. Yeah. There is no right in, way. In anything, yeah. in a breakup, 100%. in a, a death, like there's no right way. It's just what works for you and to be patient with yourself. Yeah. That's a really good one. I always thought you go through that grieving stage and you like check the box, like it's a homework assignment. <laughs> no, that's not the case whatsoever. <laughs> be patient, give yourself grieving, and everyone's going to have their own process. Let's talk about this. My next book that comes out is all about love and money. So in relationships, when it comes to money, when it comes to, this is like dating and money advice, it comes to splitting bills, joint accounts. When you think about some of your past relationships, do you have any love and money rules? Do you talk openly about what you guys make? Do you share things financially? Do you just keep it compartmentalized? Do you have any love and money rules? I feel like because I'm kind of new to both right now. <laughs> um, like all my friends and stuff that are getting married and, and dealing with that now, I'm kind of like asking them these questions. Yeah. And I, I like the split. Like you do your own thing. Yeah. I like you make your money, you make yours and that's yours. And if I, I don't know, that makes sense to me. Like that structure works in my brain. Like you do your own thing, you make your own money and then you just kind of communicate throughout toss them in the savings checking. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. No, I think what you're saying is good. Like have your own careers, make your own money, put it together for activities and do your thing. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that's a good take. Okay. I think that's a good take. <laughs> I think you nailed that one. Do you amongst your friends or even past relationships, do you openly talk about money or is it something you're not really comfortable talking about? I think like growing up in the South and a little bit not in the South, yeah. it's like that it's, it's, you're not supposed, You're not supposed to, to at all. Yeah, exactly. So I have a little bit of that there in me, but the older I get, I don't, I guess I don't really see the reason you wouldn't, you yeah. know, yeah. like I grew up thinking you don't, you shouldn't, but I think it's an okay topic, especially with people you're comfortable with. And I do think it can like get awkward because if you don't have those communication or if you don't have those conversations and yeah. they're going to, that's when things happen. Like you go on big trips yeah. and like, I remember <laughs> living in LA and like, we'd go to brunch. And I would order, I don't know, like a crouton and water. And then they would be like, we're all just going to split the bill. And it'd be like, like 150 each. And I'd be like, I had a crouton and water. Like, so it's like, I don't know. I, I, I think you'd be open communication with like your friends in that sense. But it is know. interesting. Every, I think where you come from has a huge impact on it. Mm -hmm. I usually, most people that come on the show don't want to talk about money. I know, I'm sweating. Uh, Maybe I, I don't think, like it. <laughs> I think it's because one of these things, like we're taught not to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I think the reason that we're taught not to talk about it is if we do talk about it, we're probably going to get like compensated more. So I think the transparency <laughs> well, <that's educational. laughs> as consumers can help us, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of my take on it. All right, let's do a little money rapid fire. It's just fun things about your personal life. Like what is one thing you spend too much money on, but you'll never stop spending? that money on mm, probably dinners like going out okay like so i like love like the restaurant going out yeah okay number one type of food where are you going what type of food sushi sushi all right do you create a budget at all for yourself or how do you what's your system for me <laughs> my system is i get a text from my dad yelling at me and then i gotta figure it out <laughs> fair, fair enough how do you respond to that <laughs> sorry won't happen again sorry won't happen again all right what was in your professional career, when you think about a financial moment, what was like 
your biggest high financially? I got to say, this is going to be weird because it's like the least amount of money I made, but like getting my first check as a production assistant because I loved what I was doing so much. And so to like realize that I almost forgot I was supposed to be getting paid. So like just even getting that first check, I remember going in at like the ass crack of dawn to go pick it up. And it was, I remember just being giddy in my car. How much was that check for? I think it was like, I don't know, like a little over 200. Did you spend it or save it? Oh, I probably spent it. (laughs) There we go. I love the honesty. All right. One financial low in your entire professional journey, financial low that you're like, that was, I don't know, that was a tough moment or I shouldn't have done that or maybe an investment you might've lost on or something. Probably when the taxes got taken out of my first paycheck after BravaCon. <laughs> just oh, kidding. just feel, yeah. No, no I think that's a good brutal. point. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this space um, too, if you don't plan for your taxes, you can get in. Yep. I mean, yeah. it, it could get ugly quick. Mm-hmm. Honestly, stay tuned because I'm sure it's coming. But, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then the last one before I get your trading secret will be, do you have a financial goal? A certain amount that you want to, let's say, at one point in your life make? or I don't know. Do you have any type of financial aspiration, dream, or goal that you can think of? I mean, I just, I'm I'm learning like how important savings is. And then just like seeing that we live in a day and age where people kind of like go from paycheck to paycheck and seeing it's getting harder and harder for people to like even just like buy something. Everyone's like renting, you know what I mean? Like I, I would love to be in a place where I felt comfortable buying, like saving, just, I don't know. It's so easy to like get your check and then just like go through it. But just, I don't know. I'm so bad at these questions. No, I think I you're doing great. All right. I'm following. You're crushing it. I think you're crushing it. All right. And, and let's say this, if you want to buy something, suppose it's a home, mm-hmm. where's the first city you're going to buy the home? Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. That's yeah. number one on your list. I think so. All right. Last one. Branding. This is your forte. You've done this so well in the last two years by branding yourself. Thank you. You've done an amazing job. What t- if someone back home has no idea where to even start with branding? They have no idea. What piece of advice would you give them with branding? Just go find your passion. Find what yeah. you're interested in. Because no, like any job, you're only going to do well with something that you love. Yeah. And so be, get clear on that first. And then the rest, you know not to sound corny will fall into place, but it really will. Cause anything that comes at you, you're going to be excited to take on the challenge and to move forward with, with that part of you and to like create a brand. You have to love it. You have to yeah. want it to be an extension of you and you have to learn it inside and out in order to do that. Yeah, totally. And I think, I don't know if you give yourself enough credit for this, but so many people go through life just doing what they're told down the road they're supposed to. And what you did from the get go was like, this is what I want to do. I'm going for it. You know, you went to LA, you went to Atlanta, you went back to LA. I think people back home should think through that as like, you said passion. And if one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. And this life is so short and so many people go through their entire career just floating by, never taking a shot at their dream. And you've done that since day one of graduating, which I think is awesome. Thank you so much. I, I think like, I was really excited to take that on into charm because especially being in the South, there's such a societal expectation to like go to college, like get a job, get married, have kids. And I was so blessed to have parents who like didn't force that on me at all. They, Mm -hmm. they wanted me to find my passion before they wanted me to find like my person, you know, there was no pressure whatsoever. It was just like, find what you love. So that's like bringing back to that, that, a lot of that goes to my parents and, and just stepping out of the comfort zone Yeah. and in order to get the bigger picture and it doesn't have to be anyone else's picture. It's what you want your picture to be. I love that. You're a trailblazer right now, especially <laughs> for the girls in the South. Crush it, get through adversity, use the adversity to propel you forward, learn from it, step into therapy. So many lessons, so many pieces of advice. We have to end with the trading secret. Trading secret we can only get from Olivia Flowers. Can't get in a textbook, can't get in a YouTube or TikTok tutorial. It could be about anything, life, career, relationship, money, whatever you want it to be. It's the trading secret only from Olivia Flowers. What can you leave us with? Don't settle in anything, in a person, in a job, in a life. Don't 
settle. Okay. And for some, I'm going to, I'm going to push you a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Someone that is settling, what do they do? They find themselves settling. You find happiness in yourself first. Mm -hmm. So there's zero dependency on anyone or anything else for that. You have everything you need in yourself. You're complete. So everything after that is a bonus in addition. There's zero dependency. That is the mic drop right there. That when you crush <laughs> that. And I think when you find it within yourself, you start to tell yourself you don't deserve that. You won't settle mm -hmm. professionally, financially, or personally. Olivia, thank you so much for being on Trading Secrets. Thank you for having Where me. Where can people find everything you have going on? Um, Instagram. What's your handle? Olivia B. Flowers. Okay. I'm like, TikTok too? <laughs> oh, I'm new to TikTok, but Olivia B. Flowers for TikTok as well. But be patient with me. And stay yeah. tuned to Southern Charm. Make sure to go follow Olivia B. Flowers on all social media. And Olivia, thank you for coming on Trading Secrets. Thank you for having me. Ding, ding, ding. We are closing in the bell with the one and only The Curious Canadian on the Olivia Flowers episode. It was a deep episode. You know, unlike most of our episodes, we actually didn't get into too much of the business because there was so much depth in the career path, I think, of Olivia. And that was so interesting to hear about that. Also, for all my money mafia back there, you got to know, I know you guys want Bravo stars. I am here for Bravo stars. They are all amazing. Olivia is an example of one that's amazing. But I will tell you, Bravo is a great, great network with big contracts. So there's only so much that I can get from them. And I have to tell you, going into these interviews, I know that they're very upfront with it. But I think the quality of a lot of these career tracks and stories and inspiration is still so worth it. So let's ring in the bell with the one and only, the curious Canadian. David, what are you thinking? ringing in the bell for real because uh, I missed you last week on the Alex Bennett episode. So my first episode of 2024, I'm fasting like you can't believe out here. I haven't had a calorie in two days. I got New Year's resolutions going out the wazoo here. So it's great to kick it off with what I'm going to call, Jay, a really wholesome episode. I think this was a great episode for the beginning of January because like you said, you got deep, you navigated the career journey. There's some some words that came up a lot in this episode that I'm going to just run by you here uh, and get your opinion on them and get your take on them, uh, if you don't mind, before we get into some perceived numbers, because I need some more numbers for the people at home. Yeah. Happy New Year, David. Welcome. It's good to have you back, but let's do it. Fire away, baby. Well, I just loved the word. You guys use the word patience a lot and patience and passion. And I just love what those words mean for where we're at in the current calendar month. So I just want to talk to you a little bit about the word patience and passion and how, you know, it can be related to someone at home who may be experiencing these things in all different realms of their life. Ah, loaded question. I think passion, just the overall theme of making sure the things that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis drive you a little bit. I think about the easiest way to find passion if you feel like you can't back home. Just look at anything around you right now. Instinctively, you have passions you might not even know. What is the drink you're drinking? What is the brand of the clothes you're wearing? What websites are you scrolling? What shows are you watching? Behind those shows are huge companies. Behind those drinks are huge companies. Behind these brands you love are huge companies. And finding your passion and aligning it with potential work is, is huge. I think about patience. Patience is really, really interesting. You know, it's something I think over the years, I've certainly mastered is what I would say, because patience is the art of listening. It's the art of observing. It's then the art of understanding in a really deep way to make sense of it. And sometimes we instantly want to react in all ways. And I think the art of patience can serve you well in every area, financially, socially, professionally, personally, when you do those things, when you actually listen, when you actually hear, when you actually try to understand, it's then easier to make so much sense of things that might make absolutely no sense when you first hear them. Well, I agree with that. And that's a great, really, opinion on it. And I just think in January, everyone started the year with a financial goal, with a health and wellness goal, with a spiritual goal, with some kind of goal. And I guarantee everyone wants to see the results. I know I want to see the results faster than I'm probably getting them when I step on the scale or when I'm going to bed at night. But at the end of the day, 
I just loved how this episode had the word patience in it so many times more than any episode because of the state of where everyone's at, where everyone wants to get to. Take your words of wisdom, take the patience wisdom, and I think a lot of people will see some some good things happen in 2024. So thank you for your patience so we can get to some numbers, Jay. We didn't get a ton of numbers. We got some early numbers for her, you know, $15 an hour in her in her journey as a PA on the set of Colony to get to where she is today. But I want to talk about the real numbers. And I want to talk, I did a little bit of research here. The internet's a fickle place. Might, might dabble in a new segment called, you know, what is the net worth presented by the Curious Canadian. Ooh, I like this. We're going to start off with Olivia here, Jay. Okay. And I'm curious. And we know, we, disclaimer, we know these aren't true. We know they usually aren't accurate. But I am on a website right now. I am on, just bring this website up here, fresherslive.com. And it says, Olivia Flowers net worth. How rich is she now? And I want you to take a stab on what you think that number is. How wealthy is Olivia Flowers right now? You, you Googled it. I'm going to say $2 million. Okay. So her net worth is coming in hot at $1.5 million, which I think actually aligns pretty well considering you talked about how her career track started just two years ago making $15 an hour, which means it leads to my next question, Jay. How much do you think that she's getting paid per episode to get a $1.5 million net worth on, uh, on the internet? I don't know. I mean, I know, I don't know. These are, uh, listen, everybody right now, this is pure speculation. I know absolutely nothing. That's what we do in the recap, right? <laughs> we take guesses with the curious Canadian. She's, she's mentioned a lot about her dad's businesses and her family's businesses. So I'm going to assume that there's some success there. I just don't really know the specifics to any level. And I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking... I'm thinking if I had to guess, like if I'm throwing literally a blind dart at the wall, 15 to 20 grand, but I don't have a damn clue. I have no idea. Well, we've had Craig Conover over on. We had Kyle on, a couple Bravo people on in, in those realms, and they couldn't really allude to per episode. So I, again, I'm on the internet. I'm scrolling through. I'm on WGTC.com. How much does the cast of Southern Charn make? I'm just going to read this out really quick for you. So this is already, this is on the internet, something you're reading? This is on the internet. Okay. This is a published source of some sort? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It says main cast members get paid 25000 per episode, regardless of how many seasons they've appeared on. Each season has had anywhere from 10 to 17 episodes. So a main cast member could make up to 425000 for one season. And I like this. A bonus paycheck of sixty thousand for showing up to the reunion taping. So that gives you a, a pretty good idea there. Appreciate that article for making me look maybe smarter than I am. But also interesting that she said when she start when you start the season, you have no clue how many episodes that there are. And knowing that you get paid per episode, you're probably hoping for a for a lengthy season. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, what I'll also say is I just want to put it out there one more time for the viewers. This is just coming from a random website that was found online. So these are all guesstimates based on something that's out there. There's no accuracy behind it. But there is something that we do have accuracy behind, which is fascinating. The whole idea when we compare it especially to Bachelor Nation with Bravo shows, is the longevity behind their business. David, whether it's a 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, obviously 25,000, that, that's all material. But if you think about it, when they're getting it per episode and they know these shows are crushing it and their value's going up, think about like the sustainability in job security, right? That's really interesting with where, you know, a lot of people in different reality shows, it's a one time and you're off. That's kind of a cool place for a lot of these Bravo people to be real housewives, all of them. They invest in this talent and they curate them and they keep them on for a while. It's so smart. And it's, she said it on the podcast with you. She goes, I, we look at, you know, you people, you, you dating show people, you, you know, one season reality people. And like, they don't know how you do it, right? And when you think about it, it's true. Like, oh, is it a risk being on Summer House? Is it a risk being on Southern Charn? Is it a risk being on Housewives? Not really, because there's seasons after seasons after seasons with sim with similar cast and spinoff shows. Bachelor, you go on, and if it's not that in Paradise, like, you're done. So it is a really big uh, difference. One difference that she did talk about that I want to touch on is the difference of culturally finances growing up in the South. Now, if we really go back to the premise of this podcast, it's financial literacy, financial transparency. It was really cool to hear her talk about, you know, growing up in the South, 
It's a, it very much don't ask, don't tell, especially when it comes to finances, especially females and finances. I want your opinion on that and your experience with that. Obviously, with the book coming out, this is going to be really interesting to talk about with finances and couples. I just loved the example that she said when she moved to LA and she went and she had no money and she goes, I got a crouton and a water <laughs> and I had to end up splitting the bill. It cost me hundreds of dollars. So just societally, culturally, friend groups, places that you live around the, around the globe, just wanted to touch on that because I thought it was really, really interesting coming from someone from the South we haven't really heard heard that on. That is a cool curiosity. And I think it's something that's interesting to be talking about. In my new book that's coming out, David, Talk Money to Me, that's one of the things that I actually discuss a little bit is just how we do have historical statistics around gender and money. And the things that we do know is that statistically that from all the data we can gather, most men in the households run the finances. This is That's more of an old school traditional approach that is changing by the second. But what's also fascinating is we know that women live longer than men. So if men are, for, for what we see in the past, running the finances, and women are outliving the men, you think about the importance and the material change that is happening and needs to continue to happen. Because then... There's so much wealth that is exchanged and who knows what happens and how it goes. Now, we're seeing it change drastically. It's awesome. You're seeing women starting. The earning gap is getting closer and closer. In my opinion, it will flip eventually and women will make more than men. That's my just general guess. But what I'm going to say is, it's interesting to hear the whole idea of traditional South. You know, in New York, we're pretty straightforward. We're pretty candid. In Vancouver, I feel like you guys are the same. As you go down South, those traditions, and when I'm speaking macro, are still like in place in a deep level. And the idea of talking about money, I feel like in the South, in the way that we do, from a macro perspective is like, oh, that is so unpolite and against etiquette, you know? So it's interesting to hear her confirm that. Yeah, and it's even like you said, she felt intense pressures to go to college right away, get a job, start a family, have kids. Like that's still very much the intensities of the pressure of growing up in the South. And as a married man, I do love when you ask people that question about your book and talk about, you know, finances and relationship. And it's always funny for me to hear like people who are single be like, oh yeah, like keeping finances separate, like that's definitely what I want. It's like, just wait till you get in there in the weeds and the, you buy a house together and the things start piling up. The time and effort sometimes to keep things separate is is crazy. So I just love to hear people single thinking about what it'd be like and now being in it, knowing what my situation is, being like, oh, just wait. Like I want a part two when you're married to see what you guys are doing. Exactly. And I think what's cool is even this conversation and last conversation last week with Alex Bennett, they're all kind of connecting with one another. Alex Bennett marrying a billionaire. It didn't work out. He didn't sign a prenup because they strategically put all of his assets in a trust and therefore on paper he was making no, no money and she had to pay him. So the point is, whether you're dating, whether you're single, or whether you're married, or whether you're on the later stages of whatever chapter in your life you're at, the importance of love and money and building wealth and exchanging it and knowing it and being transparent, it's starting to hit in all places and it's hitting this podcast. I got to put a quick plug out there. Talk money to me. You could go buy it right now on Amazon. It's on pre-sale. Go check it out. Love it. Last thing I want to ask you that I, you know, it was really interesting because I think you and Olivia had a lot of things in common more than maybe I was anticipating in a little bit of your path and how you got to where you guys are today. And one of those similarities was, you know, you going on a show, her going on a show and your Instagram kind of blowing up and you being a well-known person overnight. And she talked about how she really struggles with social media, what to post, overthinking, overthinking, overthinking. And it kind of got me thought to you, you've now been in the social media game since 2018, but you've had a lot of different points in your life and you touched on it. You said you overthink it too. I'm just curious to kind of get your take on the same question. What is it that you're overthinking about your social media and how has that changed since you were pre-bachelor, Jason? Yeah, I think in general, man, just like a, a part of my DNA is overthinking. Uh, analysis paralysis in like almost all forums. It serves me well in a lot of cases. It's a good protection and safety mechanism. It's a good way to think through things and not be reactionary. But it also can really hurt you when you're overthinking things to a fault based on a conversation we had. I think about like my whole like Instagram or social media life. It's It's been a really, really interesting ride from the days of pre-show and then, you know, stepping into the world of the social media realm while I was on the show, 
and then my departure from the show and then being single after the show and then being in a serious relationship, public relationship, into an engagement, into a failed engagement, into now single and a lot of public noise, right? And I think I'm getting better with the whole thought process of just do you. But every different chapter changes like constraints and respect for the others in your world. And this is a whole new world, David, where I am single and I am doing me in a different way. And I'm still having to deal with things that come up. So I'm, now I'm navigating this new chapter of it. And I think maybe that's a good segue to say, and the Jason Talls All episode next week, which we'll record next week, I go in the hot seat. You guys hear our guests every week. David puts me in the hot seat. He asks me all about business, personal, and professional and financial questions. And just talking about the business of Instagram, we'll get into. But there's been so many different cycles, David. And I, I continue to work every day to use my DNA of analysis paralysis, but also don't let it be the paralysis part. Just do it. Yeah. And I don't envy you in those situations. And, and you really even talked about your timeline. You didn't even really mention that your businesses are built off Instagram, whether it be monetizing on brands through your talent agency and monetizing on Instagram too. It's almost like you've finally figured out what you use Instagram for and then it switches, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, I finally figured it switches. And then your job switches or your career switches, or your relationship switches. And it's just like, you know, you're dealing with all these things and that comes in the overthinking. Yeah, dude, this, the other day someone said this to me because uh, I was talking to someone about branding and marketing and how the business is changing and everything. Yeah. And the person said to me, come on, you know what Instagram really is. And I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's a massive, massive multi-billion dollar earth shattering business. He goes, no, it's just the largest dating app in the world. I was like, what? Yeah. You know, that's a sign of, you know, well, now I think I'm starting to see that a little bit. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, DMs, I'm like, whoa, I, you know, but I never, I was like, wait, wait a second. This is a whole new world now. I don't know, man. Yeah. It's like, it's like a dating app slash LinkedIn slash like old school MySpace all in one. Yeah. Like it's really just the, the, the melting pot of, uh, of all those things. So no, it was really interesting to see you guys connect on that, connect on your guys's rise to where you are today. And, and like I said, it was just a really wholesome episode. I hope people stayed for the recap so they could get a little sprinkle of some numbers and some you know insight into that. And overall, I think 2024 off to a hot start. Can't wait for Jason Tell All next week. Hot start. We have some really, really good episodes in the bank right now. And this week, I'm going to be in LA and in Mexico. And we have some big, big podcasts coming. So we're excited about that. I have a masterclass that's coming in all areas of finance. So if you are looking to get your finances up to speed, but you're looking to just learn at your speed in a manner that is comprehensible, that is coming. We are working on live shows right now with some really big guests. So get ready for that. That's going to be exciting. The book Talk Money to Me is out. Go to our Facebook group and join us. We're talking every single day about purchases and where you could save money and where you could spend money and finance questions. So join us there. And I think it's going to be the best year yet for Trading Secrets. We have the wind at our back, 5,000 plus reviews, millions and millions and millions of downloads. Thanks to the Money Mafia. Thank you for everything you guys do. Thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing this with your people. And David, you got anything before we wrap? No, you say live shows and every time on the Jason Talal, which I'll talk about next week, we talk about our goals for the next season and live shows and merch are my two things I always talk about and live shows have got to be coming in 2024. And if I don't get one of those trading secrets, out, we're going to, you're going to find yourself a new co-host pretty soon. Well, the two good things for you. Merch is coming. If you guys see me wear my Trading Secrets hat, we're going to do the Trading Secrets hat in the color that we have right there. And then we're also going to get another color. If you have a preference on the color, like purple, pink, blue, whatever you think, put it, give us five stars in the reviews and let us know. We are going to come out with an exclusive amount of those. We're going to do like 250 only, one drop, see how it goes. For the live shows, think March. Think April. Think we're already in talks with a couple big couples because it's a love and money book. So more to come. David's ready to go. This is going to be the year of action, of execution. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Trading Secrets, one you can't afford to miss. And next week, holy shit. Get ready, folks. I hate, hate 
Jason tells all. Get the beta blockers out. I like being the interviewer, not the interviewee. And next week, I'm in the hot seat. David's going to fire away with all the questions. If you have questions you want David to ask me in the hot seat, give us five stars and go in the reviews and put those questions. We will see you next week on another episode you can't afford to miss. 